2: It's all happening. It's all happening. Beto's going to run. It's happening, dude. Apparently, he announced via text message to a local news affiliate. You know, it's kind of like if you're uh, breaking up with a girl through email. It's kind of kind of that ridiculous. Hey, dude, let me type this out. I like dude, dude. I'm going to do it, dude. I mean, fuck it. Why not 720 McTwist and Whataburger Quadrafina hits? I mean, dude, fucking doing this, man. Beto, 2020. <laughs> That's how ridiculous this whole thing is. The guy who crashed his car into oncoming traffic while he was wasted off a case of Zima and ran from the scene of the accident and his dad, the judge, bailed about. The guy who loves eminent domain so much that he was going to take over Uh, you know, well, um, some seriously low-income housing neighborhoods to build a shopping center for his (laughs) father-in-law. This guy is going to be running. It was a matter of time. I mean, we only watched him spend millions and millions of dollars on his failed Senate campaign, and he's got a documentary. (laughs) Running with Scissors. I mean, running with Beto on HBO. So, of course, they're going to make another documentary about his presidential run. But what's really interesting is my friend uh, Ratto 3 at Ratto 3 he basically said, I call it, this is back in January, Beto's going to announce a run either around Cinco de Mayo or St. Patty's Day. Well, I <laughs> guess he's leaning more towards his Irish side because St. Patty's Day is just in a few days. But... Beto O'Rourke, I don't even know how you do an Irish-Hispanic accent because he's not Hispanic, but he's going to run on being Hispanic. And my hope is that he wins the nomination and goes up against Donald Trump in the debates. Tell me what kind of debate that's going to be. You think low-energy Jeb was bad? Do you think uh, the way he treated Rand Paul was, uh, you know, tough? I think what he does to Beto O'Rourke in the debates where he's like just totally ridiculing this guy, gives him a nickname, you know, slipping body. <laughs> you know, I don't know what's gonna happen on that end. He's gonna pummel him. And uh there's really not much that Beto can run on, except for maybe the bribes and the kickbacks he got from the uh MS-13 and uh Cinderella campaign uh uh drug cartels to allow safe passage through El Paso during his in, his tenure uh on city council and what have you. Uh, maybe he can do that. But, yeah, so now we have <laughs> the pool just gets bigger. Whether we got, you know, John Hickenlooper over there rocking out with his 75 Hickenlooper guitar. Whether we got another fake ethnicity in the course of a fake Indian, Elizabeth Warren, going, Ooh, uh, yeah, I stole your heritage. Um, we've got more cultural appropriation with uh, Mr. Beto O'Rourke doing Ollie's in the Whataburger parking lot, rocking out air drumming to the Who in his car. Um, then you've got, you know, the Castro brothers, Joaquin and uh, whatever his name, Julian. You know, uh, one of them was Postmaster General, I guess, and they did a little parent trap switch where they just kind of take turns pretending they're each other. You know, we've we've got Kamala Harris, who has the harshest stance on truancy of any district attorney, and Kristen Gillibrand, it's going to be an amazing time. I just can't wait for this nomination process in the debates. What a fun time to be alive. Dumpster fire 2020. You thought the Republican nomination process was hell on earth. Get ready, smod. We could use you with a direct hit right here, right now. Take us out, please. You know, there are three rules that I recommend everybody taking into account When you think about politics and you think about the left and the political repertoire of the left, put these in your quiver. Rule number one. Anything that the left accuses the right of doing, the left actively engages in. Any accusations that they throw around, it's because they're actively engaging in it themselves. Number two. If the media is attacking you from every angle, even conservative media, uh, media, if they're attacking you with all their might, all of their strength, all of their resources, you're the most winnable conservative in the bunch. You are the threat. You are the one who would rock the establishment and change the paradigm for politics against the Democrats. And number three, if you're on the left... Man, we have the fluffiest pieces. We have the fluffiest tank fluffing of fluffery that you will ever see. You think I'm lying? Obama. Wow, that crease in his slacks. I've got that thrill running up my leg. How about Bill Clinton? Are you wearing boxers or briefs? That was the MTV (laughs) rock the vote uh, question in town hall, the Q&A town hall. He had this little college chick get up there and say, Governor Clinton, what's your underwear preference, boxers or briefs? (laughs) I I like the briefs. Uh, Come over here and let me give you a a, a cigar, a, a Havana. I mean, who would have guessed that that guy would have turned out to be the creep that he is? Although there's stories going back before that, but that's for another show. So who is receiving the fluffiest of fluffery As we speak, well, it sure isn't Hickenlooper, John Hickenlooper. Who's that guy? Even if he's breaking out his 1979 Hickenlooper and and rocking out, hey, Joe, he's not receiving the fluffery. Kamala Harris is kind of getting it. She's, you know, here. look at the block. Oh, my gosh. The line is filmed all the way down the block. It's filled with all these people. There's some fluffery there with Kamala Harris. They're, they're trying to do it with Cory Booker, but come on, man. Like I said, that guy, he is a combination of the coach that, uh, you know, Keenan, uh, Michael Key does on Mad TV and on Key & Peele mixed with uh, Matt Foley from SNL, you know, Chris Farley's character. where It's like, you're going to be living in a van down by the river. When he gets outraged, when he gets his Spartacus on, that's what happens. Kirsten Gillibrand, I mean, she's walking around with an apron on, pretending she's uh, Martha Stewart. That ain't happening. Of course, we had that influencer vibe try to be cultivated with uh, Elizabeth Warren with, I'm going to get me a beer. That wasn't awkward. But who is getting the fluffiest fluff treatment? It is the Betamax. It is the beta Male, Beto auroric. And it's only been, you know, what, a couple hours since he announced at the time of this recording. But let's check out what Vanity Fair decided to do. And we're going to do a little, a little study here. First, I'm going to show you how fluffery these pieces can be. But then I'm also going to add my own comments within the fluffery piece to kind of give it some real-world application. From the piece from Vanity Fair. It's 9 p.m. on a Tuesday night, and Beto O'Rourke is trying to manage a couple of life altering, possibly world historical political events while also driving his family home from a Mexican restaurant. He's got his hands at 2 and 10 o'clock at the wheel, reciting his alphabet backwards, being sure to drive between the lines while blaring good Charlotte in order to stay coherent. And, you know, ahead of any possible DUI checkpoints after downing and drowning himself in eight fishbowl margaritas with the uh, multiple bowls of chips and salsa, uh, salsa and the vegetarian cochinita pibil, which I didn't think was culinary possible. Donald Trump will touch down in O'Rourke's hometown of El Paso in four days to hold a rally and whip up excitement for the wall along the southern border of Mexico. Auroric's iPhone is pinging with Tex asking what he plans to do about it. You know what he plans to do about it? Make asinine statements about getting rid of existing walls on the Texas border. I want to pass along from a a, a question from a congressman who does not represent the border, but he is in Texas, Dan Crenshaw, who's a new member of Congress. He's been very outspoken in favor of the president's agenda on the border, particularly. Right. Um, And he wanted to ask you, he tweeted this, I'm just passing it along. It's not something he didn't text me. Um, You know, would you, if you could, would you take the wall down now, here? Yes. Like you have a wall.
1: Absolutely. Knock
2: it down. I'd take the wall down. And do you think the city, you think if if there's a referendum here in this city, that would pass?
1: I do. Here's what we know. After the Secure Fence Act, we have built 600 miles of wall and fencing on a 2,000-mile border. What that has done is not in any demonstrable way made us safer. It's cost us tens of billions of dollars to build and to maintain. And it has pushed migrants and asylum seekers and refugees to the most inhospitable, the most hostile stretches of the U.S.-Mexico border, ensuring their suffering and death. More than 4,000 human beings... Little kids, women, and children have died. They're not in cages. They're not locked up. They're not separated. They're dead over the last 10 years as we have walled off their opportunity to legally petition for asylum, to cross uh, in urban centers like El Paso, to be with family, to work jobs, to do what any human being should have a right to be able to do, what we would do if faced with the same circumstances they were.
2: And the border is extremely beautiful. As the Washington Post you know, made certain to point out, In a lengthy piece that chronicled Beto, Robert Francis O'Rourke's call to action for the beautiful snapshots of breathtaking views of our southern border from the public at large. Because, you know, democracy dies in fluff pieces, I guess. This is from the Washington Post. The photos poured in from the Chihuahuan Desert of the Gulf of Mexico and through all the canyons in between snapshots of nearly 2,000 miles of border, now at the center of a potential government shutdown. For the better part of last month, the scenes along the U.S.-Mexico border playing on cable television have featured migrants fleeing tear gas or climbing fences as President Trump escalates his demand that Congress fund the wall. But as of late, Representative Beto O'Rourke who fell short last month in his Senate bid against Senator Ted Cruz, sought to offer an alternative vision. Where would they build the wall? O'Rourke wrote on Twitter. Whose home or ranch or farm are are they going to take to build it? I don't know, Beto. Maybe they'll use eminent domain to rip the property and the housing out from, you know, those low income individuals, give them crumbs for their property. And maybe it'll benefit their father-in-law when they develop this town center shopping mall. Right. And we're going to get into that pretty soon in the show. I want you to understand Beto O'Rourke was going to enrich his family by using eminent domain. So he's got that question on the front and forefront of his mind. But back to the piece. Which communities and habitats are they going to destroy? Let the rest of the country see what's at stake, he said. The dozens of photos that Twitter followers sent in response, featuring ankles dangling from cliffs in the Big Bend National Park and kids wading through the Rio Grande. Might as well have been a tourism ad for the border, leading some to pledge a visit to or, quote, admit I had no idea how beautiful the border is. Some posted photos of the kayaking spot That they used to visit. It changed my life! Or the spot where grandfather once owned a ranch overlooking Mexico. But while the photos are unlikely to sway congressional debate on the wall, they did illuminate some of the habitats most threatened by Trump's border wall, such as the Santa Ana National Wildlife Refuge and the National Butterfly Center in Texas. The Trump administration has been able to bypass dozens of environmental laws, including the Endangered Species Act, and the Clean Air Act, thanks to the 1996 and 2005 legislation that gives precedence to border security concerns. Earlier this month, the Supreme Court left in place the February ruling upholding the Trump administration's authority to waive the environmental rules, a major blow to groups seeking to save natural habitats along the border they fear will be destroyed by the president's wall. Right there was the first time between two articles that we had any sort of research being done and any sort of facts being given... In the multiple multiple articles, and who were they against? I don't know. Against bad, orange bad man. What will O'Rourke do about the Trump rally down the street? He said he couldn't rent a I l- <laughs> I mean, that's what they're, they're talking about this rally that he's coming up, you know, on Vanity Fair. They're talking about the rally that, that he had down the street from the Trump rally. But, I mean, what is he going to do? I mean, he couldn't rent a loud enough PA to drown out the music emanating from the Trump rally that would eventually drown him out like the P-Funk party on the movie PCU. Here, in one of the
1: safest cities
2: in the United States... America. So yeah, he trashed his vocal PA at the final Beto and Furries all-ages matinee gig a few years ago when they were playing Blitzkrieg Bop. And he decided he's going to text whether or not he's going to run for president of the United States of America. He knew he was good at running, finally recalling the frantic sprint he made when dashing from the scene of his fender bender when he was plastered, wrecking his Honda Civic into oncoming traffic. Thank God for his dad's judicial employment. And his excellent car insurance. I wonder if he had Geico. You know, they have those funny ads. But back to the Vanity Fair article. Henry, his son, age eight, weighs in from the back of a Toyota Tundra, which was still intact from the long ride home from the margarita uh, consumption, you know, uh, extravaganza at the Mexican restaurant. Dad, if you run for president, I'm going to cry all day, he says. Aww. Just one day? asks O'Rourke, hopefully. Every day, says Henry. (coughs) Puke in my mouth. Daughter Molly, freckle-faced and clever, astutely observes, The White House is going to be all wet! Earlier that day, the ten-year-old declared cheerily, I want to live in the White House, O'Rourke's eldest twelve-year-old Ulysses said which better be named after the D.C. punk band Nation of Ulysses, or you're just a punk poser. Only it's not because Ulysses was named for the hero of the Homeric classic that Beto O'Rourke said he cherishes. And he delivers the final word, I only want you to run if you're going to win. Characteristically, O'Rourke wants a more optimistic approach, one that does not let the president define the terms. And so he'll spend the next 24 hours carefully steering allies to his idea of staging an upbeat march for truth which would just happen to star el paso's best counter argument for donald trump himself and it'll all work out if he can just keep his eyes on the road mother he says after darting into a busy intersection while ferrying the brood home from school that day he catches himself sorry kids because that's what you want for a president. You know, it's a bridge too far for a guy hanging out with Billy Bush and TMZ to joke about grabbing fawning groupies by the Panani, but, you know, dropping MFers in front of the kids, so punk rock. I mean, dropping the F-bombs in front of the little ones, he's so cool. Beta O'Rourke's mission-style home in El Paso's neighborhood of Sunset Heights is the site of a famous 1915 meeting between the Mexican revolutionary Pancho Villa and the U.S. General Hugh Scott. While renovating it, O'Rourke had a wrought iron fence around the property removed. Save a few feet for a pistachio tree. That's where Beto makes his scrumptious vegan pistachio pudding for the poor. And he does so with that Mexicali flair, even though his culinary forte is obviously Irish cuisine. In late February, he came home to find Republican protesters live-streaming video and asking why he still had a fence Mimicking Trump's remark that politicians like walls when they're around their homes. I said, come up with me and I'll take you to our front door, he recalls. recalls. This is just decorative fencing. Yeah, it's not for oppressing that poor pistachio tree who wanted to escape the oppression of its homeland. It only wants to do the jobs that Americans don't want to do, like feed the poor with the homemade pistachio pudding for the poor. (laughs) This whole thing is just utterly ridiculous. Why do you have walls in your house? They retort. Why do you have a door? Behind the door in the auroric living room, a floor-to-ceiling bookshelf contains a section for rock memoirs, Bob Dylan's Chronicles, a favorite, and a stack of LPs, The Clash and Nina Simone. And, you know, he's so cool, you should see Beto at the record store impressing those sneering, judgmental, music nerd record store clerks who mock everyone. And laugh at every purchase of One Direction and Taylor Swift. Beto's too cool for that. His taste makes him an instant fit for the a-hole music, uh, music store clerk. You know, here's the thing. I'm done with this Vanity Fair garbage. Um, one of the things that's interesting is there was a Revolver magazine expose on him. It said, Beto O'Rourke cites minor threats Ian McKay as a key influence. Beto O'Rourke announced today that he'll be running for president in 2020 and a new Vanity Fair profile of the former House representative from Texas sheds light on the politician's influences, including one that should perk the interest of heavy music fans, minor threat Fugazi founder and prolific Discord Records owner-producer Ian McKay. I have so much reverence for him. He means so much to me in my life, he told the magazine. This is the best part. (laughs) He not only talks about McKay's DIY method of conducting himself as a musician and a label owner, but also in the way of how he lives his life. Yeah, um, guess what there, O'Rourke? Ian McKay was straight edge. He wasn't driving around wasted on Limearitas. If anything, Discord Records was about DIY small business capitalism. It was a middle finger to crony corporatism of the record industry. They set their own prices for their own products and their own recordings, and they even sold their own tickets at their own prices for their shows. And you know what? See, I grew up in the music scene during that time, late 80s, early to mid 90s. And you know what? (laughs) We used to go see the concerts Friday, Saturday night, Sunday matinees, all ages shows. You know, we lived close enough to have the spillover from the Discord scene. Those bands used to come through our area every other weekend. We used to see Fugazi, Jawbox, Shutter to Think, Lungfish, Circus Lupus, Hoover, even the early days with Rites of Spring, who were also a part of uh, Fugazi. We had a similar scene in Richmond with bands like Hose Got Cable, First Five Through, Who Gall, whose drummer is now playing for the metal band Lamb of God. And the shows had the skinheads, the sharps, and all the other malcontents there. But you know what? It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't this scene. Of posers like Dashboard Confessional and uh, and some Good Charlotte and some Blink One Eighty Two, like you know, Beto O'Rourke was most likely jamming out too. You know, I mean, and here's the thing about them, you know. In fact, the record industry was like the social media conglomerate at its time. You couldn't play ball unless you followed their rules. You didn't get radio airplay. You didn't get tour support. You didn't get the recording budget. You were a nobody in the desert. You can make your brand or you can have your brand broken by the record industry. They made you, they could break you. And if they were finished with you, they'd let you die. You were demonetized, left to hang out to dry until the contract ran its course. And you wonder why there were so many good bands with one album, one or two albums that had masterpiece uh, albums that were in the cutout dollar bin. That's because the label was done with them and they were still under contract, still on their platform. Now, Minor Threat and Fugazi um, they said, to hell with all that. They had a brand with a message that connected directly to the people outside of the media and the music machinery. They were a direct-to-the-people type of industry. Streaming conservative media much? But they built themselves a loyal fan base by never forgetting who they were on their who, and who was on their side, who supported them. They weren't a flash and big-money marketing machine. They did everything on their own, no help from others, not even the government. Their own work built their legacy. And by the way, Fugazi and Minor Threat, they didn't have pre-written marketing exposés on deck for a media push like Vanity Fair, Revolver, 60 Minutes, Rolling Stones, like Beto has. They had to make their own waves when their message and sound wasn't even popular. And let's not forget that Fugazi and Minor Threat did everything their own way. They played with the house lights on as a middle finger to the crony corporate rock show, and they never asked the government to subsidize their label or their stage show. Back in just a moment. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade
0: broadcaster.
2: What are your thoughts on the running program?
1: I don't want to do it. I'm running to serve you as the next president of the United States of America. I will not do it. This is going to be a positive campaign. Uh, Amy and I, Amy and I, are, and you spent the better part of the last two years. Over the coming days, um, not with each other, I'm going to travel this country. Our, our family could not survive more of that. We can begin by fixing our democracy. But I'm not looking at 2020. And, and the interconnected crises in our economy, and in fact in, in our democracy, and completely in our climate, ruling that out, have never been greater. As people have asked, the answer is no. We are truly now, more than ever, I'll, I'm not running in the last great hope of Earth. No.
0: Ahead of Ted Cruz yet? Uh Uh-uh. By the way, where'd you meet him? I first saw him on Ellen DeGeneres. He's taking on the GOP. You get the picture? Yes, we see. And Beto does it without without a super pack. pack. Here he comes now. He's married with kids, but he's still my man. Played guitar in a rock and roll band. Like Bernie Sanders, but he's got a tan. There's nobody my bento compares to. Like JFK with a $10 hairdo. Hey, Ted Cruz, you better watch your back. He drives a pickup, that's just how he rolls. Rolls, rolls. My temperatures rise. Much better now. The last time I saw him was at a rally at Auditorium Shores. He was jamming out with Willie Nelson and 50,000 of his closest friends. But then in came the Koch brothers and Mitch McConnell and Shredder from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Look out, Beto! Look out! Thank you.
2: The leader of the pack. That was when Beto Francis, Robert Francis O'Rourke was playing up against um, Ted Cruz in the Senate campaign. Let's keep the celebration going.
1: Our country
2: Oh yeah BETO even though his name isn't BEto. It's amazing what kind of fluffery these people receive. I mean you remember Obama with the kids singing? I know Trump had a little bit of that too, but it's this cult of personality. It's like, oh he's our savior. He's a friggin politician he's not going to do anything for you. He's going to do it for himself. And it's interesting when you hear some of the provisions that he uh, he's advocating for outside of the fact that he's talking about how we have, uh, you know, 12 years left. It's Normandy. All the talking points are all situated in these clips.
1: The, the current president says he doesn't believe in climate change. Uh, I don't know how many countries are on the face of the planet. 192 muscle metals. Um, how could we who used to be the indispensable nation, be the only country that has removed itself from any obligation to work with anyone on perhaps the most pressing problem. If you think of our leadership, those who preceded us, right? Those who were on the beaches in Normandy, those who faced an existential threat to Western democracy and our way of life, they showed us the way. We, we can all come together, we can unite, we can marshal the resources, and we can convene the countries of the world around otherwise unsolvable problems probably that, that's who we are that's why they call us the indispensable nation well that moment is now for us on this issue so if there's a time to reassert global leadership and make friends instead of enemies it's today because the challenges are too great to do otherwise thanks, thanks. to your
2: left yes and there it is uh this is our world war ii we've got the normandy drop you know that's what aoc was saying that's what beto's saying that's what Kamala Harris and Cory Booker are saying, you know, if we can go to the moon, well, then we should be able to do the climate change crap. And that's why we are this indispensable nation and everybody's on the same page. And he goes on with more of his garbage Green New Deal talking points. But what's amazing is what he does later on as he climbs in the Dodge Caravan.
1: Now, this is our final chance. The scientists are absolutely unanimous on this, that we have no more than 12 years to take incredibly bold action on this crisis. My gratitude then for the young people who have stepped up to offer such a bold proposal to meet such a grave challenge. They say that we should do nothing less then marshal every single resource in this country to meet that challenge, to reduce our dependence on fossil fuels, to get to net zero emissions, which means that not only must we emit less greenhouse gases, we must also plant those things that absorb greenhouse gases and carbon. And we must also invest in the technology that will allow us to claim some of it that's in the air right now. Can we make it? I don't know. It's up to every single one of us. Do you want to make it? Yeah. Yeah. because your kids my kids you know ulysses who in 2050 is going to be just about my age is going to be looking back on this moment in 2019 in keokuk and every moment thereafter to judge what we did or what we failed to do because his kids they'll be thinking about all of us his kids life whether they can even breathe is dependent on what we do right now so some hey everybody we're in Wapello, iowa Start of the day we then went to Fort Madison and then Burlington and we're going to stay on the road for a very long time but it takes your contributions to keep us out here. Let me show you, we've just filled up. Uh, so we've got 12 gallons and the Dodge Van Caravan that costs us $28.53. Please join everyone else who's helping to make this happen.
2: Thank you. <laughs> and that idiot is talking about driving around the country, or actually at the time he was uh, uh, campaigning against Ted Cruz, driving around the state in a Dodge Caravan and asking people for $28 and 60-some cents or whatever. The guy's panhandling with his donors. Hey, dude, we're in a Dodge Caravan, which I doubt he's driving around in. The guy is worth millions. This isn't him driving around with his band touring Let's sell the seven-inch uh, singles and the hoodies out the back of the van, and we're going to stay the night at your dorm room, dude. Let's party down and get on the road. Let's get on tour. That's not happening. But this guy who's driving around in a gas-guzzling Dodge Caravan is going to sit there and say, oh, well, you know, we only have 12 years left. we got to save the planet, so let me get in my gas-guzzling Dodge Caravan and drive around the country And uh, I'm going to need you to throw, uh, you know, a 20 spot my way so that we can make this happen, even though I'm worth millions. And we're going to get into the eminent domain and the enrichment of his family on both sides of the aisle, whether it be the father-in-law and his development uh, company or the judge on his dad's side who got him out of his DUI. We're going to get into all that because I'm going to bring up some clips from a previous show that we did. But one of the things that I thought was interesting is one of his... uh, One of his stances for Supreme Court justices, if he wins, is pretty interesting. Newly announced, this is from The Hill, newly announced presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke said changing the makeup of the Supreme Court is an idea we should explore. He said at a campaign stop in Iowa that he thinks it could be a good idea to have each party choose five justices and then let those justices choose five more justices. What if there were five justices selected by Democrats, five justices selected by Republicans, and then those 10 then pick five more justices independent of those who picked the first 10? Auroric said, I think that'd be a great idea that we should explore. He also floated the idea of term limits. My thing is, if you're going to engage in judicial activism, yeah, term limits, completely fine with me. But this idea, this is like the ranked choice voting and those crazy finagled ideas where they go, well, you know, we'll just, uh, we'll put the two candidates on the top of the list and then your second tier candidates and then your third tier candidates. And what we'll do is the ones who win at the top will be, and then they're the ones advocating for this popularity vote for the elimination of the electoral college. They just want the entire vote to be a popularity contest Pure down the middle, but yet they want ranked choice voting and they want the Supreme Court justices to be chosen by other Supreme Court. And all this, it, it's whatever it takes for these idiots to win. This is how they operate, okay? And so let's go back in the Wayback machine to a show we did around Columbus Day. And we were talking about Indigenous Peoples Day. And we really got into some information that was provided to us by some people that listened to the show out in Texas and they sent me some video clips of a city council meeting. And I think you really need to listen to this clip of us talking about and breaking down the city council meeting with Beto O'Rourke and his cronies and how they tried to basically lift the property at a cheap price from those low-income individuals that lived in that community. Beto O'Rourke. Yes, the beta male O'Rourke, the failed mall punk musician who decided one day he was going to f- drive over three lanes of traffic into oncoming traffic almost to get head on with a blood alcohol content of 0.13 and the only to run from the po- uh, scene of the crime and then you know get pulled back by the police officer to where he couldn't even speak he was so wasted we talked about that uh, either last week or the week before where we read the uh the actual a police report, but there's other developments that no one's talking about. You know, there's a lot of things in O'Rourke's past that he doesn't want to speak of. But luckily, allies of Ted Cruz are targeting this Democratic opponent. This is from Texas Tribune. In a new TV ad over his support on the El Paso City Council for a plan to redevelop downtown El Paso, which raised the threat of eminent domain, the plan never went that far, but fueled a contentious chapter in El Paso politics starting over a decade ago. The new TV ad from the Club for Growth, a national conservative group that recently announced a seven-figure offensive in the race, portrays O'Rourke as a puppet of wealthy developers who pushed the project, including his father-in-law Bill Sanders. Quote, El Paso's rich and powerful stay that way by controlling politicians like Beto O'Rourke, says a narrator in a 30-second spot. As Councilman Beto carried water for his wealthy father-in-law, the developer behind a downtown redevelopment scheme, pushing the city to bulldoze an historic Hispanic neighborhood using eminent domain. While eminent domain was never used in conjunction with the project, the specter of it was controversial from the start. Auroric was one of those on council who at least initially wanted to preserve the option of eminent domain as a last resort and for example, helped defeat a June 2006 motion to rule it out. A month later, as public concerns were growing about the plan, the council, including O'Rourke, voted to ban the use of eminent domain during the first year of the project. Sanders, his father-in-law, said uh, in April 2006 that he would not invest in the project to avoid creating an ethical dilemma for his son-in-law, according to the El Paso Times article from the time later in the year however he decided to invest in the plan after all citing encouragement he received from then mayor John Cook and promised any dividends would go to a downtown uh, downtown nonprofit hm so the revitalization plan was introduced in March of 2006 by Paso del Norte group a private organization made up of regional business elites including Sanders and would have impacted the historic Mexican-American neighborhood of Segundo Barrio. In fact, what's funny is, let's listen to a clip. It's about six minutes long. It's a long clip, but I'm going to translate this clip in exchange between the citizens of Segundo Barrio and Beto O'Rourke and his handlers. This is, this is, this That's why we feel the way we do. Why have we been pushed aside? We are part of this community. You say you're gonna do things for the barrio, but we haven't been included in your plans. We were treated like a stone on the road that needs to be moved out of the way. I was at a meeting where the city's planning commission recommended that a separate plan be made for the entire Segundo Barrio. And when I saw how the map had been charted out instead I asked how is that if the Commission recommended that the whole Segundo Barrio come under a different plan why have you cut out a section of the barrio separately that doesn't make any sense that's a contradiction I asked this at the city meeting you were there and they responded You see, this sector of the Segundo Barrio generates a lot of money because of the businesses here. And Mexican consumers contribute more than $2 billion to the regional economy. Large numbers of shoppers pass through here, and then turn around and go back to Mexico. And now if they want to change the name of part of that Segundo Barrio, they want to call it the Golden Horseshoe. So how is it that the Segundo Burrio should develop a plan specifically for the whole Segundo Burrio, you are now cutting off a sector of that burio, And I told them, that's not right. And you told you directly, Mr. O'Rourke, imagine how people are going to react when they find out that you've been talking from both sides of your mouth. Here's his handler. The people who put this plan together needed to figure out how to connect. The downtown part of the plan to the Juarez Bridge. To make that connection, it's not only because this part makes a lot of money, but also to make the connection. Here's another gentleman. We were kicked out of the OA people and kicked out of our houses and only given twenty thousand for our houses? That's wrong, and now the people who live at Mesa and Eighth Street are being offered sixteen thousand for their house. The people are being ripped off. That's just wrong, the handler for Beto now. If someone comes to your home and tells you here's a check for $20,000, you don't have to agree. You don't have to sell. It's against state law for the city to come and take your property for economic development. Here's the citizens. That's a lie. The city can condemn their home. If it declares the area where the house is a blighted zone, They don't have to give her what she's asking for. Here's Beto's handler. It's not the intention of the city, and I can't say with any intention, the city has no intention of taking your homes away. Here's Beto. As Victor said, the city is not in the business of building buildings. Or tearing down buildings. It's not the city's business. But if a private owner wants to raise his building, or sell his building then he's free to do that these investors are individuals with a a lot of money so why don't they go says one lady in the crowd why don't they go buy up the land in the mountain that's very expensive why do they come down here where the table is set for them why do you want to strip us of our land because we are humble people here's Beto if somebody wants to buy up a building and the owner wants to build and sell everything is legal Here's a citizen, we used to be happy here in the burio. Yes, with all of its defects, but we were happy. Here's another one, and now you've bought this new plan into the burio, and you have us living in fear. Here's Beto, there's a lot of people working in the area, very hardworking people who are frightened by the people who live here. And you know who that is? Beto says, yes, it's your own father-in-law, says the citizen. And that's not okay, it's just your opinion no that's not just my opinion i'm telling you what's going on here says the citizen many people have sold their homes out of fear the, this was the plan development for in secret for two years only after this period the city unveiled it so if they didn't include us for two years says the citizen while they were coming up with the plan what should we expect now that um it has already been approved and finalized by the city I also want to say that you have treated the people in this barrio with a tremendous lack of respect, says the citizen. And here is proof of the material right here. She holds up the documents showing the plan. This photo of their presentation shows how one of the city's meetings the the city offered and played games with us and the people of this barrio. They kind of set up a monopoly game and asked those at the meeting as if none of you lived here and if we were nothing here as if nobody's home was here they asked the individuals play in this game what would you like to see here they made the barrio residents disappear this is a tremendous lack of respect and then she sits down another citizen there have been several meetings where she said there had been a, a lack of respect shown towards us that's the truth at one meeting they said they were going to tear down our apartments because they were full of cockroaches and lice. So then, what are you saying about us? Are you insulting us? Sure, we're poor, but you have no right to state that we are infested like cockroaches and lice. That's a profound lack of respect, especially in a public meeting. There has been a real lack of respect shown towards us in several meetings. That's why the community doesn't want anything to do with you anymore. Are you referring to this meeting tonight? No, not this meeting. You mean other meetings. Yes, they said the meeting's near, near at the Boys Club where Mr. O'Rourke spoke. Unbelievable. Yeah, the citizens of Segundo Barrio, not too thrilled with him. That's his own constituents, but he doesn't care. He's going to just, you know, take their houses and give them just chump change and let them deal with it. But his family has also had interesting run-ins, too. Melissa O'Rourke, Beto's mother, ran a furniture store in El Paso called Charlotte's, Inc., which was the family-owned business that would survive three generations of leadership, early in 2010, the business was raided by government and IRS agents in which financial records were seized as part of a search warrant. Early allegations stemming from now-deleted news postings hinted that the uh, business was the target of a money-laundering operation. No further details were given through those sources. She pled guilty to paying back $250,000 and the company was put on five years probation. And his father, Peter or Pat O'Rourke, I'm sorry, not Peter O'Rourke. He's the biggest, this is the most overlooked event in the O'Rourke family history, stemmed from a 1983 case involving two members of the El Paso Police Department, Beto's father, Pat Francis, who at the time was a county judge for El Paso, and they were able to find a news report covering the incident. Over eight months after the initial incident, the only article covering this incident in full was one from the AP that we dug up, El Paso, Texas. A sheriff's captain suspended for three days says he told two deputies to destroy a white powdery substance found in the county judge's vehicle because he thought the substance was planted. Captain Willie Hill was suspended this week after an internal investigation verified that Hill told the deputies to get rid of the substance they found back in February while installing a two-way radio in the car of El Paso County Judge Pat O'Rourke. Sheriff Mike Davis was ordered a suspension after the investigation last week. Now, remember, his dad was also the one that got him off on his little DUI uh, hit-and-run incident. So this is what you're dealing with in Texas. Failed pop-punk singer, DUI recipient, running from the scene of a crime, mom launders money from the IRS through their business, dad's doing blow, maybe got some hookers in blow, I don't know. But you're running this guy who is a George Soros puppet. George Soros is funding his campaign, and they're all doing this because they're trying to make him like this great new blue hope against somebody solid like Ted Cruz. Sounds like Beto O'Rourke has had quite a storied uh, political past, and so did his family. Yeah, Um, it's unbelievable when you think about all of the things that surround this guy, and yet he's considered the go-to candidate. He is the white Barack Obama. He is the great white hope. And yet we don't hear about his little DUI incident. We don't hear about eminent domain and how he wanted to take away property at, you know, one sixteenth of the cost from the people that live in the low income housing. You know, taking that away so that his father-in-law can develop this grand town center and shopping mecca. We don't hear about him. He, it's even been told now we haven't seen confirmation of this, but he could have been a part of the politicians receiving the briberies and kickbacks from those involved in the drug cartels on the Mexican border that are allowing drugs to be funneled through El Paso with literally no resistance whatsoever. We haven't even gotten to there yet. And we didn't even get to get to Project Veritas doing those undercover videos where campaign aides talked about how they were funneling money, campaign money, donations raised for the campaign. They were taking that money and funneling it to the illegal immigrants in the caravans across the border. They were helping giving them aid. That is pretty daggone illegal. And there's video evidence of many multiple different uh, aides that worked for Beto during his campaign talking about it talking about what would happen if they got busted $100,000 fines FEC violations, you know, but yeah, we're just going to go ahead and take the money and we're going to funnel it right to the migrant caravans, the migrants, you know, the illegal aliens that are just looking for a better life, just escaping tyranny, all going to be funded by Beto O'Rourke's campaign funds. But Beto O'Rourke, dude. I'm going to jump up on a table at a bar and talk about socialism and talk about how we got 12 years left to fix the planet. I'm going to ride out in my van and ask you for $29 so you can fill my tank, even though it's a gas-guzzling tank. What's interesting is the New York Times, listen to this, in Beto O'Rourke's announcement for president, his wife's silence stands out. The media, they don't know whether to hack him or fluff his taint and put him up on a pedestal. Beto O'Rourke, the charismatic Texas Democrat and former member of the House of Representatives, announced his presidential campaign in a video. The three-minute quick uh, clip quickly racked up millions of shares, with some viewers excited by the prospect of his out-of-nowhere political rise. Yeah, it was very out of nowhere. But others were put off by how his campaign deployed another old trope in American political theater, the silent supportive wife. Throughout the video, uh, Mr. O'Rourke's wife, Ms. O'Rourke, Amy, sat quietly by her husband's side, periodically grasping his hand as he outlined his campaign vision. She occasionally smiled and gazed. (laughs) But apparently this is like a reason to attack this guy. The guy is going to be in the race, and he's going to be a force to be reckoned with whether we like it or not. Because here's the deal. deal. They realize Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is not going to be a presidential candidate. She is going to be on the extreme side to be a draw to the youth, to be a mouthpiece for the movement. And she's going to have limited power within the government you know, as a representative. But she's going to be there to engage those on the sidelines. And engage those who are, you know, oblivious to it all. But what they need is they need somebody that's going to be more polished, more refined, more slightly centrist, and have this presidential demeanor. And that's what they're going for with Beta O'Rourke. They want to build that movement. She's going to be the recruitment mechanism, and he's going to be the one to take it across the finish line. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. You can check out the show on Mojo 5 every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, every Saturday and Sunday, 5 p.m., even Sunday at midnight. You can also check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn, Overcast, iHeart. You can also donate to the show, patreon.com slash Adrian Slade Show or anchor.fm. You can donate there as well. You can also get the free Roku channel in your streaming store and check out the blog, adriansladeshow.com. That's where you go. Follow me on Twitter at adriansladeshow and at Rants Out Loud. And we'll see you guys next time. God bless.